Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 26 million high quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP8. This week on TWIP, photographers obsessing over other photographers' gear choices, rumors of a new Sony lens camera, listener Q&A and our Picks of the Week, plus an interview with pet photographer Jeff Otto. It's Wednesday, August 21st, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me to discuss some cool topics that have come across our desk this week are Mr. Evgeny Chibotarov and a new face slash voice on This Week in Photo. And that's Mr. J.M. Giordano, a Baltimore-based photographer. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. Pretty good. All right, J.M., let's start with you, man. So you, like I was telling you before we started recording... Um, a friend of mine, I was in San Diego last week actually, and, and we were, we were talking about shows that were kind of the best shows on TV and we're like Game of Thrones. Um, what's the one with the blue, the blue, correct, the blue, uh, what is it with Heisenberg in there? What is that? Anyway, whatever that show. So we're talking about that, all these different shows that Breaking Bad is the show I'm trying to think of. So Breaking Bad, all these shows. And um, he brought up The Wire. And I was like, The Wire? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. And apparently, I'm like the only person in the world that's never seen The Wire. And it takes place in Baltimore. And we have a Baltimore-based photographer on the show tonight. So, welcome, J.M., also I, known I as, yeah. as Omar. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> you're not Omar. You're not. You're not Omar. So let. So introduce yourself. We did an interview before, so most of the audience may know, may have heard of you already. But just just for the folks that may not have heard of you, who is J M Giordano, and uh, you know what's the kind of what what's the kind of photography you like to do? Um, yeah, I specialize in uh, mediocrity, uh, plants, spice, close-ups of spiders, things like that. No, I'm kidding. I'm a um, I'm a Baltimore-based. Uh, photojournalist and commercial photographer. I work with the, the DITLO, D-I-T-L-O agency out of L.A., and I shoot in New York a lot, uh, so I'm up there quite often. Um, I contribute to Daily Telegraph in the U.K. I contribute to the Baltimore City Paper, the Baltimore Sun, uh, international publications. I've shot for ID Magazine in London, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I, I pay the bills with photography. Yeah, see, whenever I whenever I talk to you, I just get the feeling you're like you're the real photographer. That you just you get up, jump in the shower, get out, go grab your stuff, and you're on the streets like shooting. In fact, you showed me before we started. You were talking about this uh, summer of the gun project that you're working on. Tell me a little bit about that before we continue. Um, the summer of the gun project. Uh, it's a. It actually may extend to be year of the gun. It's become quite an interesting project. Uh, I'm using kind of old school photojournalism to record the uh, violence problem here in Baltimore City. It's for the Baltimore City paper. Um, it runs as a blog, so I can do uh, multimedia. I have um, audio from people at the scene, from um, victims' families, uh, police, 
things like that. It, it's 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 quite taken off. It's caught a lot of it. It's called a lot of attention to the problem here in the city uh, internationally. It, it'll be on uh, Al Jazeera America is doing a segment on the project, which should air next week. So cool, awesome. Well, welcome, welcome to the show, man, and thank you for uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks. All right. Also on the show, as I mentioned before. Mr. Yevgeny Chabotarov. Yevgeny, you are the one of the co-founders of a site called 500picks.com. What's going on in your world? I, I feel like I haven't talked to you for in forever. What's what's happened? Uh, lots of things happened. So the biggest thing that happened since we last spoke is we actually closed our uh, round. So we got our Series A. Awesome! Congratulations. From uh, California-based investors, you probably heard of them, Andreessen Horowitz and Harrison Metal. Um, so they added around 8.9 million in our coffers. So now we can go and build stuff that we really wanted to go and build. That's, oh, did you say, wait, 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 you rolled over that really quickly. Did yeah. you say 8.8 .8 million they dropped yeah. into your yeah. Yeah. pocket? Wow. Yeah. So right. um, what it gives us is that we Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like we, we're we're a super small company. We were about twenty people building lots of things, uh, always understaffed, like always lack of people who was uh, pressing us to. You know, it's hard to build all the things that we want to build. So now we're actually um, getting a new space, five times larger than our current space, hiring new people. Uh, and as soon as we do that, we'll have lots of amazing products coming out. Um, some of them are coming out sooner than that, so you'll hear some of them next week, and we can chat about that a little bit um, down the road. Um, but that's that's the major uh, that's the major thing that happened um, since we last spoke. So, yeah. so, so it, gives, it gives us a lot of room to to grow and uh, experiment. And expand and kind of build out that feature list that yeah, you've, yeah. you've been talking about. So, so with that, so one of the things that we we talked about in the interview we did a while back when you and I met in San Francisco, where you guys did a, a refresh of of lots of new features in there. That you so go, can you go over just like the top couple of them that you added that have been that like it since then and now have taken off to to kind of show that these were the right move for you to put in. Yeah, uh, well, so since we last spoke, we actually refreshed the photo page um, that I mentioned to you briefly on the previous uh, interview. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty big for us because that, that page was the first page in the overall redesign of the site. Mm -hmm. So we ch changed uh, the overall look and feel um, across the website. And that's just the beginning of the over overhaul of the look on all the apps that we have. So it will bring cleaner and easier design that is easier to use where people are getting to uh, uh, sort of like goes with the theme of uh, flat design that Apple is promoting. Yeah. So that it's, um, and for us it's great because it keeps the photo in focus while taking away all the gloss and all the unnecessary stuff um, that we had over the years because we had the time and uh, energy to rethink all the important things and put the photo uh, first, again, making photos around six times larger than they were before, um, making them more crisp and making everything more responsive so that it loads better on uh, mobile devices and on uh, tablets and on web and loads faster than before. So it's kind of like everything combined, we, com, com, everything combined gives you a better experience. 
Really cool, really cool. Well, de- yeah, definitely, listeners um, and viewers, head over there and, and check out the uh, the new changes that they're doing over there. And I'm excited. I'm, you know, honestly, I'm excited to see over this next year and into next year, or the remainder of this year and into next year, yeah. what $8 million will do to a site. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to see. So you guys are already kicking butt with, you know, the, in my opinion, the site already looked great and, right. you know, didn't need a whole lot to it. So when you take a Ferrari and put $8 million into it, what do you get out of it? So... I want to see. I want to Probably see. Probably a Tesla. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you start taking stuff away. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Cool. Can, there I, you borrow money for, can I borrow money for a new lens? <laughs> uh, it's not much. Sure. It's not so much. We, so we have a marketplace. <laughs> no, you get it, would you, yeah. Your response to that should be come sign up for an account and set up your one. store. Start selling, start selling your photos. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the great thing is that we have uh, one, well, few, but one really active LA-based VC, uh, who a venture capitalist, who spends enormous amount of money buying prints and buying photos on our mm. side. So just the insider information. <laughs> there you go. So you're gonna, you can make the introduction, and JM just just make some prints and move yeah. the decimal point over three or four spaces, and yeah. you'll be good to go. <laughs> right. Tell me about it. Yeah, cool. It's All right, guys, before we continue, easy. before we jump into the stuff, I want to uh, just do a quick update. Back in episode 309, um, episode, I think we called it New Yorkers Exposed, we talked about a photographer who took a bunch of photos of New Yorkers in their apartments from the, the adjacent apartment or the adjacent high-rise, and then he created an art exhibit from it. So a quick update on that. Um, it went to court or went to trial or whatever, and the judge dismissed the case, ruling that the photographs are, in fact, protected by the First Amendment. So if you happen, JM, if you happen to be, like, getting out of the shower and the window's open and someone's taking pictures of you from across the street and they decide that that's art and they make an art gallery installation from that, you can't do anything of it because they're protected. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be standing in front of my window unless they like <laughs> bear daddies. So... <laughs> Yeah, but but yeah, that's that's a vision I don't need in my head. Right now. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not quite that big. I'd say cub probably. I'm not, yeah. not quite that big. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, no yeah it, it's, We don't need any Sasquatch yeah, action going on. Yeah, really. It, it, it's well, it's an interesting case, Frederick, because um, judges have been ruling, at least in America. I know in France. They have a. I love that. I love troll face. That um, was. I was. It was supposed to go like 15 seconds earlier when we were oh, talking yeah, about the. Um, yeah, I yeah, know. Just tell I me mean. how much you hate my work and with troll face. <laughs> so, um, no. What I was saying was, I, I know there's like a law in France where you they have really strict street photography laws there, but but here in America, I mean, there's there's been several cases. Um, and the New York, the New York, the New York photographer Philip um, uh, Yorka de Corsia, did a series called Faces where he set up these strobes on like Fifth Avenue and he set about you know 500 meters back with his long lens and people triggered the photos and they uh, they took photos of their faces and, and, and a rabbi sued him because he was in the cover of the book and he wasn't supposed to have his picture taken but the judge ruled in the photographer's favor um, so I, I think you're going to see at least in America a lot more of these cases being ruled in favor of the photographers. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Evgeny, where do you fall on that? Do the so you, I know you, you're familiar with that story when the, the photographer just you know taking photos, yeah, yeah. Um, and the 
No, I don't think anyone really complained about it except the people that were in the building. And I, and granted, I would have complained about it too if someone was taking photos of me standing on the street or even from my neighbor's house inside my house and then made a gallery installation of me and my significant other as we're hanging out. You know, so what do you, how do you feel about that? Well, I actually have a question for you. So I guess when you're walking on the streets and you have and you see someone who is taking like a general picture of the street, mm -hmm. what do you do? If someone's taking a general picture of the and street? you know that you're gonna be in the shot, that you're I don't mind at all. I and I know where you're going with that. I don't mind yeah. at all. If I'm in a public place, right. I don't have a general expectation of privacy. I you know, if you're gonna catch me, that's fine. You know, you can shoot me all day long if I'm in a public place. But when I feel like when I come in my house that I purchased, that I own the real estate for, that I, it should be like out of bounds. I don't know. You know, maybe uh, I'm crazy. if your blinds are open that. Yeah, that's see that's the thing right. cuz they're standing in a public place, I'm in a private place. Right. You know, where where's that line? You know? uh, so I think before and I'm not the law expert, I guess. Uh you were it was all right if you were shooting a celebrity, like if you were a paparazzi, then yeah. the celebrity had no expectation of privacy even if you go far and beyond this to get the Biggest telephoto lens and try to sh uh, try to shoot the celebrity because you need that that uh, those shots to sell, right? And that was supposed to be okay. Yeah. Uh, with private people, I believe that wasn't supposed to be okay. But again, like with with more technology that we see today, that every everybody has iPhone, Androids, uh, people will be wearing Google Glass, you know, in a year from now everywhere. So it will become more common. Uh, that you you would see photos in more random places, you know, like would it be going to the men's washroom with Google Glass, right? Like what other people would think of you, and and right. then then the expectation of privacy will shift once more. Is that um, I remember the case a few well, a few years back where the phones with cameras were banned from gyms. Right, like you, you couldn't go to the gym, to the changing, um, to the right. um, clubs. Yeah, with the phone, uh, with the camera. But what happened is that there is no phones without camera, so now it's okay again. Right. right? I think it's going to be the same as Google Glass and men's washrooms or like you know bars or something like that. Then it's not going to be okay uh, at first, and then when everybody walks in with Google Glass, then it becomes suddenly okay. Yeah, right, because there's no other normal glasses. Like you cannot get normal glasses. All the glasses you get is with the camera in them. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's that's scary. That's a scary world. Hopefully, I will be, I'll be old enough not to care. But <laughs> like, yeah, do you want to take a picture of me? Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, I'm know, sure it will happen but, sooner I mean, than but, than we all want. Right. Right. But but, but, uh, but Frederick, I mean, think about it this way: the people that were in the photos were publicly exposed at their windows. Yes. You know, he, he wasn't even peeping through the curtains, you know, as it were. He was doing it a long lens and people that were already on display at their windows. Now, I, a full disclosure, I was initially against this project when I first, you know, I put this rant up on my Facebook page. Uh, and then I, I remember I just sent you a, a link to a book by uh, Mary Alpern. It's called Dirty Windows that she did. And I couldn't remember that the last time we talked. But um, that link is up on the uh, – and that's a book that she shot through strip club windows of these patrons, you know, doing drugs with the girls through these dirty windows of a strip club. 
And that case also went to court, and they found in her favor. So I don't think people that stand in front of windows that are open and exposed to the public really have a leg to stand on anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough for me. I mean, because I'm a photographer on on the one hand. I'm always going to be a photographer. But on the other hand, I, I'm really rabid about privacy. You know, it, like my privacy and the privacy of people that <laughs> yeah, I care about. You might want to change your views a little bit on that one. I know. I mean, it, it doesn't reconcile. I know. But, I, you know, I'm a private person, but I, wanna, I, I, I still want to take pictures. Yeah, Frederick, I guess I have three letters for you. NSA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or USA maybe? <laughs> NSA and, USA? I know. And I know. after that, you know, what kind of expectation of privacy can you have? And all those things that are coming out from um, from the knowledge of um, NSA and all uh, shooting through the windows kind of gives you the perspective that basically there's no more privacy. Done. Yeah. Right? Right, which is which you you guys are absolutely right. I mean, yeah, it's a fallacy that, or or I don't know what the word is, but it's an illusion that I think I have privacy, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, so that's an illusion, and I know that there's some big hard drive with everything I've ever done on it that. If they were to want to come get me, they could just, let's, let's go scan through everything Frederick has ever done and see if we can get them on something. They could probably do that with every American citizen and probably, you know, people beyond our borders as well. Mm-hmm. But f- when I look at it from a photographer's standpoint, I just, I just look at it from the standpoint of, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You know, if you're standing in the middle of the street, shooting into somebody's window, we got this is like common courtesy. There's the law. There's all these bureaucracy and all this crap. But then there's just what is right and what's wrong. Is it right, JM? Is it right to stand in the middle of the street and take pictures of people in their homes? Well, I mean, that's that's not for me to say. I mean, sure it is. You know, no, no, <laughs> it, it's not. I mean, it, it, it it's a it's a situation. I mean, do I would I personally do that? No. Um, it would make me uncomfortable doing it. I mean, that's not my project. Um, but after looking at this guy's photos, I mean, he, he definitely did it with an artistic eye. It wasn't just voyeur shots, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at Alpern's work, I mean, she's, she's the closest we have to this guy's work as far as peeping in windows. I mean, hers were just whatever she caught in the window, she shot. You know, there's no, there was no eye for composition or anything like that. I mean, this guy had an artistic eye. And, you know, most of the people, you can't see their faces, and they're composed in a way where it doesn't seem that intrusive after you look at it for a little while. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Th- I think this is. It, you know, it will never be solved. And you guys are right. You know, the whole privacy thing is a fallacy. And. No, I mean, you know, you, I mean, there's there's a reason that you know the term peeping tom goes all the way back to the Victorian era. It's nothing right. new. Right. You know, it's just that they couldn't have a eight by ten box camera in front of someone's window with a long exposure. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's it's kind of like, uh, you know, one one way to to describe privacy in the United States is kind of like like raking leaves in wind. <laughs> you know, it's not you're not gonna make any progress, but you're just moving stuff around. It's it is what it is, you know. But I don't know. That's a whole nother show that we could do and dedicate to privacy. One of the other things that I wanted to to throw out there, and it's not in the show notes, but I wanted to have a quick conversation with you guys about is. Um, well, let me set the stage. So last week, uh, the folks down at Sony in San Diego invited me down and a bunch of other bloggers and podcasters whatever, to, uh, to kind of look at some of the gear that they have. Like they were showing us their new handy cams and their action cam, which is like this GoPro uh, 
target targeted thing, um, underwater action camera. Um, and one of the, you know, in a t new tablet, their Xperia Z tablet, and then also this thing. So they gave me this thing. This is the um, the NEX 5, what is it, the NEX 5R right here. So it's just a little camera that happens to have the same APS-C sensor that my D7000 has in it. So it does, you know, similar low-light performance, and it's just a kind of a powerhouse little camera that has a little articulated screen and all that stuff on it. So awesome. So the show isn't about this camera, and I'm going to do a little review of it to talk about what I, th what I think about it. But what I wanted to talk about is they took us out, and some, some folks took some shots of me wearing this camera during that little Sony adventure I had, and I got tweets and No privacy. About no people privacy. saying... You're like, what happened to the OMD? Oh, you're jumping ship. And, you know, one guy even called me a traitor. You know, to whoever said that, one note, don't ever call a military person a traitor. <laughs> so, so this guy called me a traitor. Yes. Uh, some people were like, Don't what happened why. to Nikon? You're, you're, are you a, soy, a Sony loyalist now? I mean, it's like, so my question to you guys, and Evgeny, I want to throw it to you first. My question sure. is, do we have, do we as photographers have an unnatural obsession with what other photographers are shooting with? Like, you know, because when, when people were saying that to me, I was like, why do you even care what's around my neck? What, what does that have to do with anything? Why do you care? Do you, do you think that's the case in, in your experience? Some people are just techno geeks, so they care about the latest and the greatest stuff. I am used to be like that. I used to be like that. Um, now I don't care anymore, right? So I, I was looking at this similar camera, uh, Sony NAX6, yeah. as a replacement or like as the additional for my Nikon camera. Mm -hmm. And I was lo also looking for something small from Canon to do the same stuff. Um, so kind of like have something in my pocket um, all the time. So it's not about the brand anymore. It's about, you know, does it work? Is it good? It doesn't have good user interface. Um, there's always going to be something better, right? Like you can go for D4 or you can go for uh, Canon 1 or whatever they have, 1DX or something like that. So, like, if you are in that mode, those people are usually spend more time researching the forums instead of actually going and shooting. Right. But people who actually care about shooting will go and shoot those photos instead of... Um, instead of like being glorifying that experience of having the latest and the greatest. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of amazing friends and amazing photographers who would shoot uh, cameras that are like six or seven years old, like beaten down, but you know, that's their workhorse, that's their tools. So they use it to make money and make their photos, you know, as easy as that. They, they would love to switch to new stuff, and they are, but they just don't even spend time researching that because they know that they can afford it. Yeah. So it yeah. kind of like comes from that experience as well. Um, and you know, and like, in some cases, the, it's, it's, and I don't know, I, I, I want to look into this further because I know I'm like you. In the past, I was like, yeah, I'm a Nikon. I mean, I've been shooting Nikon since 1989, right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm a Nikon guy, whatever. And then I don't know. At some point within the last 24 months or so, my my brain switched gears and was like, Nikon's not really paying me anything to be a Nikon guy, you know. Apple's not paying me to be an Apple person, you know. I just 
I used I used the tools that I use because I like them and because they let me do what I want to do more, not because it's a religion or a political party or a sexual orientation, you know, that I have to be in. It's because I want to use this particular thing. JM, what about you? Where do, where do you fall on this? I mean, is it, you know, the whole have you experienced the the gear obsession from other photographers that say, "Hey, GM, I must classify you as a Canon or Nikon shooter, and if you're not, then you are somehow inferior, or I can't identify with you, or whatever." I'm a lone wolf, Frederick. I don't talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you mean they shoot awesome. ethics? You know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't care. I mean, I, I, I was at a, I was shooting for Juxtapose magazine, which is a. Um, a street art graffiti magazine based in New York. And I, I'm very good with, with the pop flash on my camera. Um, and these, these guys were at the same concert with their SB 900s and reflectors and 25 bodies. And they, they laughed at me about this pop flash until they saw the photos. And the one guy's like, how did you do that? And I was like, exposure, son, exposure. <laughs> all it is. I, I don't need 50,000 gadgets to help me make a photo better. If you can't get it in camera, chances are you're not going to get it. And I, I'm still a purist about that. So I don't get into a, a nerd debate about gadgets because I don't care, yeah. frankly. You know, I, I the, my, my poor my poor local Photoshop, they have to – I came in last year to actually buy a lens, and they were having their annual sex toy fair, you know, with like, oh, look at these things, and look at that, and this can do that. And I just didn't care. And they were like, yeah, you're awfully surly. And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't care about – mechanical sandbags. Thank you. I just want to buy a lens. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's refreshing because I've, I've seen both sides. Like I see, you know, it seems like there, there are people that, that polarize in your direction, JM, that are just like, I'm a, I'm a, I care about exposure, light, composition, shadow, you know, the art of photography. And those, those people tend to have a more, uh, a deeper understanding of the history of photography, the players who did what, when, and why they're significant, all that stuff. And then they're, the pixel peepers on the other side, you know, and, and I'm, I'm making like polar opposite generalizations here, but on the other side, the pixel peepers and the people that have to absolutely positively have the next best piece of gear or else they don't feel complete, you know. But they're not, I mean, but I, I used to, I worked at a camera store in high school and, you know, the best photographers would just come in with their little Pentax K1000 and buy a film, you know. Yeah. People, you know, people tend to overcompensate about a lot of things and photography is definitely one of them. They don't need half the junk they're buying. I had to sell it to them, but they don't need half the junk they're buying. Yeah. You know, if, if nothing's going to make you take a good picture other than your eye. You know, you, you can put a million things in front of your face, and it's not going to help you take a better picture. Right, right. I don't know. I mean, that that, that was just, uh, you know, I stuck that, that had that a, a mental note to bring that up in this show because it's been on my mind of just like, you know, what a, have I changed or have I al always been sort of like, why do you even care? what I'm shooting, you know, it's like, it's like, do you, aside from other it, chefs, aside from other chefs, if a chef is cooking something, do the people that are eating the food, do they go, hmm, I wonder what kind of oven and, and, and well, I uh, think refrigerator I, you know, is using, you know? Yeah, I, I think a more interesting question is, when will the industry change over from, you know, the Nikon, the Canon love? Because, I mean, try to, try to show up at a high-end fashion shoot with an Olympus or a Micro Four Thirds camera, and that's right. it. Even yeah. though, I mean, essentially, you could theoretically take just as good pictures, but it's a psychological thing, you know. Yep. Yeah, and I we mean, talked about that on the show before too. And I think that you're right. It's a it's an industry thing. And Evgeny, I want you to weigh in on this too. It's a, it's an industry thing that these smaller mirrorless cameras 
are somehow inferior to the other cameras. And in some ways, they are. Like if you're shooting sports, of course, yeah, they're you're not going to be able to to keep up with the with with yeah. the focus of a running athlete with a small camera like this. But you know, at the same time, I think one of the one of the things to combat that is the photographer's name. So, Jam, if you if you show up at an event and and people know who you are, and they're like, oh my God, it's Jam Giordano. You guys got him, you know? Hardly, hardly. You know, and you show up with your name and brand, and your the work that you've done is backing you up, and you show up with a small camera. No one's gonna care, I don't think. They're gonna be like. Wow, I want to go get a camera like that because if he's able to shoot no, that mean, kind of work with that, so. yeah. No, I mean the, the only person I think that can get away with that is Terry Richardson. Honestly, he's a, a very avant-garde fashion photographer who uses a Vivitar pop flash small camera. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I you know I, I've I've tested. I've been on shoots where I've just you know said, what if I brought some? It's all a pageantry. It's a show of lenses and a show of big bodies and things like that. I mean, it's all going to end up with Google Glass anyway. I mean, this whole conversation is moot. So it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was at a crime scene two nights ago, and I was thinking, if I had Google Glass, I could stand there, compose it the way I want to compose it, and just say, enhance, mono, monochrome, add grain, file it. You know, and not have yeah. to worry about lugging and getting mugged from my cameras or, you know, lugging my cameras around. I mean, yeah. think about it. It, it. It's, you know, those cameras are bulky and they're archaic. The design of a, of, a, of a professional camera is so outdated compared to everything else in the technology world. Yeah. It's, they're just, it's ridiculous. Google Glass is going to change everything. I mean, I, mean, you know, I, don't, I don't see me like, wearing them day-to-day right now until you know, they do a deal with Ray-Ban or somebody like that. Then I, you know, I'm all over it. But I could see like, undercover officers wearing those glasses, going in on busts and streaming the whole thing. <laughs> You know, I mean, and don't even talk about the porn ramifications now. But it's just, it just goes yeah. on and on. All the power you could do. Yevgeny, what do you think? I mean, where where are we going with all this? So I got my perspective. I went to Alaska a few weeks ago, well, months ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was shooting. I got the Nikon D4 from Borrow Lenses and mm-hmm. a few lenses from them. And I was shooting with my D800 as well. Um, you simply cannot get the wildlife shots with um, camera as advanced as D800. You just need more frames. So if you're shooting with D800 or even something slightly less, you just don't get the shot. You know, that's why you need 10 frames per second or 11 frames per second to get all the action because the action is... um, the. Uh, the whole scope of the action, like bears fighting or something like that, is around like two seconds. Yeah. And you have to focus with your 400 mil lens, and you have to shoot as fast as you can, so like get 60 or 70 shots, and from those, you're going to pick a few, which is going to be fine, right? If you're going to shoot at 800, you're going to miss all that. Mm-hmm. Same with whales. When we were shooting whales, um, same in Alaska, the same stuff. You know, you, ha- you, you have the body water, like in an ocean, and then something jumps. And then the next time something jumps, your focus and your camera has to focus from nowhere, pretty much from infinity or somewhere, to the whale, get it within like a second to catch the flight, and then it drops. And then you have no idea where it's going to appear next. Right? So cameras like D800 just cannot um, uh, focus properly and cannot capture with three or four frames a second all the action. So I just switched right. to D4 
for the rest of my trip and just was using D800 just for some landscape shots. Yep. So it's useful. It's really useful getting something for specific uh, jobs. If I'm shooting in the city, yeah, I want something smaller. I don't want to be like with huge lens and huge body because it's just inconvenient, right? I want to stop at the cafe. I want to have coffee and stuff like that. But if I'm on a mission and that's like the wildlife shots or uh, action, you still need those uh, latest and the greatest tools, but simply because they make the allow you to make the job. Yeah, you bring up a good point, and I, I've brought up this before too. We as photographers, or a lot of photographers, seem, seem to get into the mentality of or, right? Like, I have to have this or that. I need a mirrorless camera, or I'm going with a mirrored camera. I have to have a Nikon, or a Mac, or I'm using Android, or iOS, you know. When in a lot of cases, who cares what you're using? Uh, you can use you can use both. It could be an well, and. If you can afford well, that, everything, yeah, it. then you get everything. Android. Well, you, and, you got eight million dollars in funding. You could get it all. It could be an and, um, an either or whatever. You know. <laughs> so, Jay, what about you? Could it, in your world, do you care? Could, could it be an and and or, or is it always or for you? It's. I don't particularly care. I mean, I... I <laughs> I'm an I really outlier, don't. man, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Nikon guy because uh, I have all the lenses and I don't feel like reinvesting in another camera body. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm, I'm more interested in, in the final pro- in people's final products. And, unfortunately, the people that have the most... There you go. I know. Look at that. <laughs> is, it, is it the mug? Is that a mug? It's not a mug. It's your lens. No, baby. That's the oh, real deal. Right? Oh, I have that. It's downstairs. I have the same glass. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's I don't particularly care what people use. And, I mean, I, I have to agree with you, Evgeny. I think we're not there yet, even with Google Glass, for low-light and fast photos. Like, uh, take, for instance, you know, the uh, Chicago Sun-Times fire alert photojournalist, right? I mean, who's going to shoot sports? You can't have a, a reporter with an iPhone or an Android phone shooting sports. It's not there. Right. You know, I mean, I, I've tried to shoot in clubs, with my iPhone, and that can't focus in the dark to save its ass. I mean, it just doesn't mm-hmm. work. We cannot. You know, so, and the resolution. I mean, I can't print. You know, I can't make a wall size print from um, Instagram. You know, so I think we need these bulky beasts around for a little bit until the technology gets there with resolution and low light and speed in special situations. Yeah, I'm seeing. I'm seeing when as I explore more into the world of these small cameras and mirrorless, and with the OMD and the Sony NEX, and you know the Panasonic is making these awesome, crazy cameras as well, and the Fujis and all these different toys and and tools that are out there for us to play with. One thing that I seem to be seeing, and I wanted to ask you guys about this, is what I'm I'm thinking of is kind of like a, a form of Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> so when people get excited about mirrorless or something like that and they, they purchase into it like they'll go get a Fuji X100S it seems like everything you know you you buy a hammer and suddenly everything looks like a nail at that point you know it's like oh i have this i'm going to shoot portraits with it i'm going to shoot landscapes with it i'm doing hdr with it i'm doing sports with it i'm going underwater with it when it's a tool for that's good for a, a spectrum, a slice of the spectrum, but not necessarily the entire spectrum. Do you guys see that? Evgeny, do you see that? that? That people, like when you buy a piece of gear, you tend to think, okay, this piece of gear is everything, and it's better than anything that's been made before it. Well, I got my first macro lens around maybe eight years ago. Yeah. And when I got it, 
everything I was shooting was makara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything because, was a nail, right? <laughs> because I never had a macro lens before, so I was shooting everything that moved or didn't move or anything because it was so cool. Yep. Same with telephoto lens. You know, once you get a telephoto lens, you just want to go and shoot everything because uh, it's just the new experience, right? Yeah. Um, I guess it's the same with um, all those toys that you you know you get the excitement of the new hardware, so you just want to get get out and try what it can do, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, that excitement drops pretty quickly, so for me, the daily camera is an iPhone, right? Because it takes decent shots, it allows me to keep my memories, that's it, right? If I'm going somewhere on specific um, job, or like Alaska or some some other place... You, you realize you'll never have to work again, right, Evgeny? So you won't have to worry about it pretty soon. <laughs> You'll never have that use work job. That's the company's again. money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's a lot of um, transparency into the financials, so it's not like it's. Uh, I'm keep checking the account though. <laughs> it's nice. He's but, like, you, but you wake up in the middle of the morning, you're like, let me check the balance again. Yes, it's still there. <laughs> That's awesome. But he, but he's right, Fred. You, you and I, you and I talked about this the last time. During the interview, is that I don't I don't carry my camera everywhere with me. I, I've got my iPhone, and that that takes perfectly good you know memorable photos of you know a, a stoop in the sunlight. You know I don't yeah. need to have that on my hard drive anymore. You know, right. so yeah. I, I I reserve the big you know the the medium guns D seven thousand, but the, the medium guns for um for assignments. You know, just because it still looks more impressive than pulling your phone out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, let, let's switch gears a little bit and jump into one of these stories here. It's It, it seems like we're going to be talking about gear on this show. Um, oh, so, really? <laughs> I know. <laughs> because the show's almost the over. We're behind. just into it, and we're almost over. Okay. So I want to talk about this, This uh, and I have no inside information from Sony at all on this. Um, they didn't tell us anything about this, this camera, but um, it's a lens camera. So this goes to what you were talking about, JM. So essentially, and we'll link to this and put photos of it in the, the show notes for this episode, but it's a lens, it looks like a lens that attaches somehow to your smartphone and uses the brain use either through Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, or uh, NFC, near-field near communications, to transmit the data that the lens is seeing to the LCD or to the display on your phone. So in a, essentially, you could have a lens in your pocket and your phone with, and you're like, you know what? I need to get a better shot than what my camera can, the, my phone but can I, do. You slap this thing on there, and you take photos with a real lens on there. So that's the rumor, and it seems to be substantiated. I thought they because, already had that, though. I thought they already had those lenses you can put on your, your camera. No, I haven't seen any in production. I've seen some Kickstarter programs for them, and I've seen this one. So maybe, I mean, I don't know everything, so maybe there are, they, there are some out there. But I don't know. So, Evgeny, like, you travel a lot. You know, you're always running around the world and, and doing things. And like you mentioned, sometimes you just want to use your iPhone. Would this be a viable option for you to just use your phone? And then if you needed to get that extra level of quality, slap a lens on your phone itself? You know, uh, I heard the joke recently, so I might be the best joke teller. Uh, but in the year 2013, <laughs> before you leave the house... You have to charge your phone, charge your tablet, charge your charger, charge your um, glasses, and charge, and then you leave 
to the house, right? So it becomes, um, and then when you think of that, it's like you have your GoPro, and then you have your iPhone, and then you have your lens that attaches to your phone, and then you might have your iPad or Nexus tablet or whatever, and then you probably need a no notebook, whether it's MacBook or something like that, because you just want to work, and then you probably want to bring something else, and in the end, you have to charge all those items, right? And you have to make sure that you charge them. And then you have just so many gadgets. So bringing one more gadgets instead of actually consolidating that is is probably crazy. Like, it's just too many things that we have. Uh, and I think in the future, same with what happened with iPhone, is that people used to have pocket cameras mm -hmm. uh, or point-and-shoot, whatever, and phones and PDAs to read books. So now they have them all three in one phone, or like whether it's Android or iPhone. So that will that will helps people be sane instead of buying useless gadgets and just they'll be collecting dust. So Consolidation. It's a nice gimmick. I think it's a nice gimmick, and it's probably a nice gift that's going to be great for photographers to. Uh, to receive, but in the end, uh, I, I have my Oloclip, for example, that I thought would be really useful. I got it uh, not so far ago, and uh, and then I what forgot is that, it. What is that thing? I, I'm not, uh, I'm not it's one of those kind of gimmicks. Uh, it's the clip that. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I mean. They have lenses for iPhones already, yeah. which I don't understand what this big innovation is. It's digital. Yeah. It's a it's a sensor, so it's a. It's like so a it's like, like a mirrorless remote, yeah yeah it has a sensor in the lens itself, and then again like you can probably cannot price it less than two three hundred bucks and then it becomes uh, another toy gadget yeah. uh, and then you have to remember all these things so uh, uh, even then when you can have the Sony NEX camera and the iFi card and go to transfer it wirelessly to your iPad I think that is creates a little better workflow than having another lens that digitally that takes all the photos and whatever else. That's true, that's true. And I'll tell you, um, this little thing, this this uh, this camera, the um, NEX5R, has built-in Wi-Fi. It was blowing yeah. me away. I was sitting in the airport in San Diego transferring files to my tablet from the camera, and I can even control the camera. So that's a whole other thing. Um, right. So anyway, while you were talking, J.M., while you were talking, or while you were talking, Evgeny, I was thinking, JM, I think I have a new business model for Baltimore. I was thinking, amps. <laughs> so you people, you could be walking down the street like, hey man, I got those amps. I got those amps for your gadgets, man. I got those amps. Go. We can That's charge right. you up. That's right. You have chargers right here. You have chargers. Chargers, chargers. right here all day long. Two for one. Two a for mobile, one. Mobile, two for mobile one. charging station. Well, but 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 what do you think of the Lytro camera? I mean. The Lytro, you know, I, I, I still don't own a Lytro, and I played with one, and I helped CNET review one, and I think where I stand on Lytro, it's, it's awesome technology, it's interesting technology, but I don't, I don't see it as pro technology right now. I see it as, um, like, well, if I had a Lytro, I would take it out to play around with, you know, and kind of shoot stuff purposely for, for doing the, the post-focus mm -hmm. thing, but I don't think I would take it out to... Like to document something, or as a general purpose camera, like I would something like a an NEX or my OMD or something. I don't know. Do you? Would you use one? No. 
<laughs> All that I just said, and the cool guy says, yeah, no, no, not really. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I, I thought that the file sizes must be huge on that thing, right? By the number, by the amount of amount of calculations it makes with the light, those file sizes have to be gigantic. No, right? not really. Not really. The, the camera itself is around two megapixels, so the shots. Um, so you'll probably get like eight megapixel input and two yeah, megapixel so output. Yeah, so photos are tiny, but yeah, to take right. a, a large, to print it out large, you wouldn't be able to have that much. I mean, that'd be huge. Yeah. Those files must be, anyway. You Evgeny, what, what about you? Do you have Do you have a you have a Lytro camera? No, um, and I think it's pretty weird because that company started. You know, kind of so great, and I heard some rumors that they're laying off people and they're having some it's trouble. It's a gimmick. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, if they can license that technology, if they can make it worthwhile putting into phones, that would be great. Like yeah. uh, build, building separate product for that and making and trying to sell it to people is is really hard. And I think that it sells in Walmart anyways, but it's still hard. Like even if it's uh, has Walmart distribution, it's still pretty hard to sell those stuff because when you think of support and when you think of going on Flickr on 500px to see Lightroom photos, you cannot, right? Because you have to build custom support for, for this format and it's pretty hard. I mean, it just takes, you know, a lot of effort and development resources to do that. So it just doesn't make any sense. JPEG is, is the format, so it's, it's the file format that everybody uses and even JPEG 2000 that was that is around for the last 13 years is still you know used by really few people. Yeah. So yeah why is it still a save as option? Why is JPEG 2000 a save as option? I have no idea. <laughs> just so you know that there was a year 2000 when it was cool. You know when 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 you when you used to name and. Have titles like something 2000 because it was yeah. cool. I was in your because it was 2000, so yeah, it felt like the future. <laughs> yes, I actually remember that. Yeah, I remember someone started a company called Photo 2000, and uh, yeah, so, so Frederick, like, so like, no, like, kind of like back on point. What did you think of? The, those attachments. You said you tried. Did you try those yet? The iPhone no, no, I haven't tried them. I okay. just, you know, I I just read the article like everybody else did, and I don't know what what I think about them. I was when I saw them, when I saw the photos of them, I was thinking, and of course, Evgeny took all the wind out of my sails, but I was, thinking, <laughs> I was thinking, man, this would be really cool because maybe I could just take the lens because if you taken something. You know, you're walking around with something that, that's just a lens like right. this, and then it's in your pocket, and then I have uh, always have my smartphone with me. I'm thinking, okay, you know, if I see something that I want to take a shot of that I want more than what my camera can offer, I can snap that thing on and take a cool shot with it. And to, if it goes even further than that, and I could decouple it from the camera and have, or from the smartphone and have the lens over here, and taking photos over, you know, I don't know. Uh, it's the geek in me that it was appealing to, or it still is, and I want to, I want to play with it. But, I think one yeah. of those cameras actually, is, uh, you can still buy it. It's one of the sports cameras, so you can put mm -hmm. one on a helmet, and one is kind of somewhere else uh, records the rest of the stuff. Right. But again, like it's really specific usage. People don't want uh, those gadgets; they want their iPhones. Right. That's right. It. I don't know. I don't know. So much stuff, but you you did you did hit a nerve with me with the uh, the charging thing because you're right because you know I've 
my iPhones, especially coming back from traveling, my phone ran out of juice and I forgot my Mophie juice pack and, you know, I got to charge yeah, my phone I, I and I got to... Like racing around New York to find a cafe with a plug where I yeah. can sit in a cafe or something and, you know, it's a people are like, why is this weird guy looking under tables? And I'm always like, oh, man, man. <laughs> you know, I got those amps, man. I got those amps. I got those amps. <laughs> So, anyway, uh, guys, before we continue with this week's uh, show, I want to give a nod to our sponsor, and that is Shutterstock. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. As Shutterstock, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or another type of project. You can choose from over 26 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors and video clips plus shutterstock has flexible pricing you can choose individual image packages or a monthly subscription for the best deal i mean you can download 25 images per day with a standard subscription and you can download any image in any size and pay only one price and today i found an interesting image on shutterstock because we were doing this episode, I was thinking, what image can I use to represent mirrorless? So, of course, I went to Shutterstock.com and I did a search for mirrorless camera. And I added illustration to it because I wanted something more illustrative. And when you know it, I found a gang of images that I could use. I picked one. And if you look in the blog post for this episode, you'll see the image that I chose. It's a very generic looking and you could say it's a mirrorless camera, um, but it's a mirrorless looking camera illustration. So definitely check that out. And it took me all of three minutes to find the image to represent this episode. But you can try out Shutterstock today. All you need to do is sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can start an account and begin using Shutterstock to help imagine and help you ideate what your next project might look like. And you can save your favorite images to a light box to view later. Then if you decide to purchase, just use the offer code TWIP8. That's number eight. And uh, new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com. And for 30% off new accounts, just use the offer code TWIP8. And we thank Shutterstock for their support. All right, guys, it is time for our listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been on the minds of some of our listeners. And question the first question, or the only question, is from Tom. He says, do you have any suggestions on booking a photo tour for a photo or for a foreign city, he says he's traveling to Rome in September, and he's looking for not only somebody to get him to the places, the correct place to take to take pics, but also to provide some educational value in improving his pics. So, like a workshop or something. He says there seems to be a bunch of options ranging from a couple hundred bucks to about a thousand. He's looking for either specific suggestions or some sane method of evaluating the differences. So I'm going to throw it to you first, Evgeny, because you, you, you've crossed the globe several times. What, what, do you, what would you say to Tom? Um, I guess I'll come from a different perspective. And we're launching a new product. Uh-oh. Uh, Always some way to weave a product in. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got free. Everybody gets their fifteen minutes of TV fame, right? Yes. Uh, even if yes, you keep getting the investors are watching. You better talk. About it. <laughs> uh, it's going to be sent to them anyway. So we're going to be launching the new product next week, and it does exactly that. So if you're going somewhere, let's say Rome, 
and you're looking to see where are the best places to take photos, then you can actually go to the map, you know, get the place that you want to see, or if in your case, Frederick, you can see what's other people shooting around you. Mm-hmm. Like, is there any other undiscovered waterfalls or like places or like any nice things that you want to shoot and you have never had any idea where they are? Uh, then you'll just see the map with f- photos, popular photos, uh, located on that map that you can simply explore and like browse as much as you want. Um, and it's pretty cool because when I was going to uh, Alaska and we were playing with a bit of that, you could actually see some people, uh, some people traveling on the river and their photos appearing one to another like on the map uh, mm-hmm. on the riverbanks. So, and they're so remote that you know that those people got there by, I don't know, but airplane and spent their week or so because it's a huge territory. And you can see some really interesting insights into where people um, shoot their best shots. But that gets um, so, you. That gets you there. It sounds like that feature will get me there. Like the old, the old. Um, remember, I don't know, Evgeny or, or JM, you guys remember this, but there used to be these spots around certain tourist areas that were. It would say something like, you know, take your picture from this spot. <laughs> you know, guaranteed to get a good shot. Take your picture and aim in that direction, and this is, you know, you'll get your picture postcard, which is awesome. But I'm thinking, like, this person, Tom, is asking. Yeah, I want to get to those spots, which you guys are solving, Evgeny. But once he gets to those spots, how does he get, you know, Evgeny Chabotarov and J.M. Giordano style imagery from that spot? So where does the training come from? The <laughs> look, ninety-nine percent for all the shots, and um, I'm sure J.M. can disagree. He, for me, it's light, right? I'm shooting mm-hmm. landscapes, so you get there during the right time, during the sunrise or sunset. You get it, you know. You you get there at 7 a.m. Well, you missed everything. So just get early, get there early, or get there for a sunset. And it's inconvenient because you either have to wake up really early, really early, or you have to drive back or like walk back in total darkness because you don't get the best shot. But that's like 99% of all the best shots is about lighting. Because if there's no light, well, you just get the darkness all over <laughs> the place. Right. Um, so just and that's it. Like explore the places, get the sunrise or sunset time. Yeah, I think JM is looking. Jam, are you looking for an outlet to plug in your iPhone? No, I'm, I'm looking. We used to have these things in my day that we we called them maps, and we would just go to a city and we'd have a, a piece of paper with lines on it. Was that made out of actual how dead to get trees around the city? Yeah, it, it, it was amazing, and you didn't need a group or a tour or a guide. You just went through the city and explored, you know. I think anybody that's under the age, I'm going to even go as far as to say 80, you don't need you don't need a tour group, you know. Go out on your own. The best shots are going to be the ones that are the corner of your eye in an alleyway or, you know, people at a cafe. I mean, if you go with a tour group, you're going to get the same – half-ass shots that everybody else in your tour group gets. So what's the point of going on a photo trip, you know? Get a book, get an app, use, you know, 500 pics and stuff as a base, use your head, you know, don't be stupid, don't go walking around at night in, you know, Marseille and bad areas, but I mean, you know, use your head, and you find the best pictures come from accidental moments that you happen to catch out of the corner of your eye. Yeah. 
When you're when you're out there and you're on the streets of Baltimore and you're you're doing photos, well, how do you approach people? Like you're working on a photo story specifically, and you know you're documenting something like like gun control or something. It's a it's a volatile, dangerous subject. And you need to talk to people that you know may not necessarily want to be spoken to. How do you, like what's your process? Do you just like, do you pay them? Well, I mean, do you just be nice, or what's the deal? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I, I have a certain schlubbiness about me that people just seem to, like, just want to talk to me, you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, when it comes to this particular project, if I get to a crime scene and, and there's someone that's been shot, uh, I, I try to go through the crowd and, and get the name of the person that was shot. So I have some kind of connection that I can talk. So, in other words, I, I went to a, uh, you know, I, I went to a shooting uh this alleged dealer was killed. His mother was on the scene, right? So I asked a few neighbors, uh, you know, who is it? And they said, oh, they told me his name. So when I when I approached a woman who was his mother, I said, you know, um, can you tell me a little bit about Monte? What, what kind of, you know, how was he, you know, as, as a kid? So instead of, did you know the victim? Um, so you're related to the victim. You know, I mean, there, there's way, mm-hmm. there's humanist ways to, to just, and let people talk, you know, don't, don't have a superior air. You know, you're there to kind of be with them, not above them. Yeah. As a fo- as a photojournalist, um, I've always taken the Tim Hetherington. He was the journalist who was killed in Libya, uh, photojournalist. Where you should be a human being first and a photographer second. And I think people can just sense that. They can just sense that you're there and you care. You know. So yeah. That, that, yeah. That's, I mean, how, that's how I talk to people. And it's got to take. It's that touch, right? Because you you could you could do that and. You know, I'm there and I care, and you know, s- slowly but surely that camera comes up. You know, and like, how do you how do you bridge that gap from, hey, I'm I'm genuinely interested in your loss or whatever the story is, to how do you make that transition to that to, hey, I have some glass in your face and I'm taking a photo of you. Well, I mean, most of the time when I, you know, when I'm when I'm interviewing someone, um, if they are interviewed, they're 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 ready to have their portrait taken. Um, you know, I, I've shot. I think one of the hardest pictures I've had to shoot, and it, it's on the it's on the website, um, was of the of an aunt of a of a guy who was gunned down. And I mean, she was just you know she was just a mess. And I I, I put the uh, I put the camera to my eye and I took a shot, and she didn't say no. Mm-hmm. So I kept you know I kept shooting. I didn't say anything. I didn't say oh stop or freeze. I just kept shooting. Now on the other side, I've been threatened at crime scenes. I was threatened by a Latino gang um, at, at a crime scene. Uh, which was pretty bad. Um, that, that's probably the most danger I've been in uh, was was that particular night uh, where I was surrounded by these guys. Um, but I stopped. I stopped taking photos. It's, you know, in the end, it's it's not worth it. You know, um, get out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I got a couple of shots of the guys. But yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it was like that kid. Did you see that the recent story of the kid who was uh, mugged by the Muslim Brotherhood? Evgeny, did you see those those photos? Uh, no, I think I missed that one. He, um, well, yeah, it, it, it's a fantastic story. I'll put a link to it in the chat, Frederick, and you can put it up if you want. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he, he, he did a blog post about exactly that. Yeah, definitely put that up there. All right, well, so I think we, I think we yeah. answered Tom, Tom's question here, sort of. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the takeaway from JM is, yeah, some structure, yeah, but break away from the from the group and and do your own thing. And Evgeny was yeah, saying, I mean, that, you know, go ahead. 
No, I mean that, that's where the, that's where this guy his, his best pictures are going to come from, not from within a tour group, but from without. You know, straight out, take, take it. You know, it, with the worst that could happen, you're obviously looking at places like Rome and Paris. You know, they're relatively safe cities. You you can venture out into different areas, and you're going to come back with a, a set of pictures that nobody else has. It's going to make him feel much better than just you know the same cafe picture that an entire umbrella tour group took. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, I have another picture of the Eiffel Tower. Yay! You, you know, for, what? Yeah. for uh, when I was going to Barcelona a few years back, I actually toured some of the tourist spots during, uh, using Street View, uh, Google Street View, and so it actually you can r- ride around in Street View instead of going there and figure out you know where you have to be on which street to get the best shots or whether it's worth going there. So you can also save some time by actually just riding around in the virtual car uh, and looking around to see if, there, if, if there's some spots that are of interest to you. So it's pretty yeah. cool. Do your homework. Do your homework. All right, guys, let's jump into our Pick of the Week segment. This is the uh, segment where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the TWIP army as long as it is somehow related to photography. JM, I'm going to let you go first since you're the new guy. What is your Pick of the Week? Um, well, I'm, I'm reading this fantastic book called Bending the Frame. Ooh. There we go. It is written by the former um, – it's essays on modern photojournalism from the former – there you go. <laughs> doesn't work too well. Sorry. I know, oh, but it's wow. pretty good. That's a, that's, a, that's a great <laughs> shot. Um, yeah, it, it's written by the former uh, photo editor of the New York Times magazine. And it's just about you know digital photojournalism and how photojournalism is kind of like morphing into this multimedia experience and how it's becoming more personal. Uh, there was a fantastic – I'll just be quick, but there was a fantastic uh, um, anecdote that he told. He was um, um, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a panel with a, a guy who was a photojournalist who was shooting in Libya and, and a Libyan woman, an activist, who was in the same panel. He was moderating. So – the photojournalist went through all of his photos, people screaming in the street and things like that. And he, he, the moderator, the author had then asked the Libyan woman, you know, what do you think of these photos? Are they important to you? And she said, no, she said, the most important photo to me was my grandfather standing next to the photo. Someone put on Instagram, of my grandfather standing next to Gaddafi's body in the freezer. And he had a big smile on his face. My grandfather's never smiled in his entire life. Wow. So, you know, the whole point of this essay was that we're, we're getting these pictures are becoming more and more personal and not so much an outsider eye, but more of an insider eye. So it's called Bending the Frame by Fred Rick, Rick, Richton, R-I-T-C-H-I-N. R-I-C. Yeah, while, 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 while you've gained these endorsing, I'll, I'll put a link up on the chat. All right. Awesome. Perfect. All right. All right. All right. So we got that one. And then, uh, Evgeny, what's your pick of the week? Um. Well, I didn't have any uh, before five seconds ago, so I had to, <laughs> had to actually think something. And I never um, would have known unless you told me, see? Yeah. So, well, I have to be honest there. Yes. Um, but I thought about the um, – so I picked the GoPro camera for the first time um, about a couple of weeks ago, and I've been trying to use it in different ways. You know, I've been setting it up on the motorcycle to shoot some videos, and I've been setting it on the boat to shoot some other videos, um, never have any time to process them. So they're like sitting dead weight uh, on the hard drive somewhere or in the camera as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I found pretty useful is that you can start, is that you can shoot time lapses. 
Um, so if you charge the battery and you can set it up, uh, whether you're moving quickly or slowly, or if you want to shoot the whole, um, I'll talk about it in a second. You can set up a time lapse um, for your travel or for some static shots. For example, put it on the balcony or somewhere outside because it's in protected case and set it up to shoot a photo every 10 or 15 seconds. You know, and then you can get the whole 24 hours of the city outside your balcony, right? Or like outside your apartment. Or if you're going somewhere, like if you're doing a travel, then you can put it um, on the car, on the dashboard, or outside the car with like different accessories, and actually shoot your whole trip. Like it might, it might be exciting, or it might be really boring. But the cool thing is that it's super easy to put together, so it's not like uh, dead weight as as the videos are for me. So you can put it all together, put some music on, and get it on YouTube within maybe 10 minutes instead of spending time editing all that so just get it all all done much quicker and uh, I think it's it's the new cool way for me to kind of get away from photography for a little bit and get into time lapses by using um, actually video camera you know to capture those time mm. lapses love it love it that's cool all right guys and my my pick of the week is gonna be you know, I, I still love my Nikon D7000 and my other Nikon cameras and Woo! the uh, the uh, OMD that I own, but I'm falling in love with this guy. This is the, like I was showing earlier, this is the Sony NEX 5R uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it's 600 bucks for this little thing, and it's just tiny. I mean, it just, you know, it, it just fits in the palm of my hand like this. And it has, it's almost all sensor. So it has a, an APS-C size sensor in there. It's got this cool thing in here. Oh, it's a bunch of cool things in here. But one of the cool things that I like is it's a selfie mode that they call it where the screen flips up like that so that you can do self-portraits and videos <laughs> of yourself. Um, if you're doing photos, when you go into that mode, it actually switches to the UI to do a countdown timer after you press the shutter. So you flip it up, hit the button, and it counts down, takes the picture, and you're off in a way. So it works surprisingly well. So it's a good grab-and-go kind of camera, but still gives professional results. And it's you know relatively cheap at around 600 bucks. So you know, so that's uh, it's pretty well, how, interesting. How is it in things like how how high is it ASA on that thing? Um, I think it's it's just like the D seven thousand, so it's twenty five thousand six hundred, whatever the highest ISO or ASA is on that camera. So same same thing, you know. So, so are you are, are, so are you are you testing that one or did you buy that one? They actually gave me this one. So when we uh -huh. went down there, <laughs> they gave me this camera to play with. So yeah, uh, and and I'll tell you. This is the first time, and that's full disclosure, right? So this is the first time that I've ever played with a Sony NEX camera, which was good for me. Um, I've never played with, like, an Android device, and I got to play with a tablet down there. I got to play with this thing. So it was kind of eye-opening for someone that's been sort of insular in the Nikon world and then also, of course, the, the Olympus world with my OMD to try out something different, and then it's like, wow, you can do those kind of cool things too, you know? This is how a yeah, different company I, I, approaches it. I'd love it. to be able to test something like that at night, because obviously I do a lot of nighttime shooting with this mm -hmm. photojournalism stuff. It's not, it's not 
things that are there are things that are moving like people on the street you know crime scenes and so it's not just a moon and a railing you know it's something that I would I would love to test something like that out and compare it to like how the D seven thousand compares because I'm shooting everything at thirty two hundred um like like the film I'm giving it yeah. kind of a film look so I'm shooting everything at thirty two hundred so I'd, I'd love to be able to test something I, I don't know how I could ever test test something like that. Are you are you, you angling for me to send you this camera? That's what you're saying, right? You I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm at, no, I'm, I'm I don't know how contact. I could ever yeah. get one of those. <laughs> no, I mean, it sure I'm, would I'm, be I'm, nice I'm, to no, have. I, I, I am. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm angling for a contact. Like, I would love to to get in touch with a rep and be like, I'm on the East Coast. This is what I'm doing. I'd love to take you for a test drive because it's specifically for nighttime what I'm doing. You know, yeah. so it's not family shots. Anybody can do that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah well, I was angling for a contact. Maybe I'll send you this one because <laughs> as as the TWIP audience knows, like I am an OMD person, right? So I can possibly yeah. shoot with a Sony for any length of time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, okay, so here, here comes the address. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> Just ship it overnight with, with insurance. All right, guys, we're, we're coming up on the end of the show here. Um, listeners, as we do, we insert our special interview at the end of the episode. And this week's special in- interview episode or interview insert is from pet photographer Je- Jeff Otto. I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and it's a really good interview. If you guys are, you know, you've ever thought about entering into the business of pet photography as a, as a vocation, um, he kind of breaks it down how he does it, how he does it, how he gets clients, and some of the pitfalls involved with it. So definitely give that a listen. All right, guys, cool. we are at the I, end I, of the show. What's that? I, I think you should end the show with that MP4 that I sent you. I think at the very end of this week's show that you should you should have that as your ender. Email it to Suzanne and she'll put it in. <laughs> but she's the producer, so she may say, you know, he's crazy. <laughs> all right, all right, that's cool. All right, um, all right, JM, where where would you like people to go to see some of the stuff that you're working on? Well, I mean, my my website is updated pretty regularly at jmgiordanophotography.com, and if they're interested in just the photojournalism stuff, um, citypaper.com. Slash summer of the gun is where all of the summer the summer of the gun project goes up uh, about twice a week. I I, I redo I do the blogs. It's multimedia, so you're going to be on there for a minute if you like audio files and things like that. Cool, awesome. Well, thank you for that, and thanks for coming on. And Yevgeny Chabotarov. Thanks for having me. Yevgeny, let me let me guess. Where you probably want people to go to 500 <laughs> picks. No, no actually, for this episode, I want people to go to meetup.com. What is it? Say it again. Meetup.com. Oh, Meetup. Okay. Yep. Uh, slash 500px because we are organizing the worldwide Meetup on September 21st in all the cities in the world. So it's going to be big and there's going to be some special packages for organizers in all the cities. So it's going to be free stuff, awesome people that are going to meet in your city and wherever city you will end up on that date, and just, you know, get to know each other. It's going to be fun. I'll be in Toronto uh, on that date, so I'll be... Um, How did you manage to get the website meetup.com? That sounds like you had to pay like a million dollars cool. for no, that. You just, no, you just go to godaddy.com. <laughs> it's, I think, like eight ninety nine, and you can Meet get... Meetup.com was, was for... Wow, I, I just yeah. thought that's one of those things where there'd be a million meetups... Um, I wouldn't mind hosting one here in Baltimore, Evgeny. If you want to, when we're off off the air, let me know, and I'll I'll see what I can, sure. how I can organize yeah. it. Yeah, 
That would be cool. So this is meetup.com. Is that is that what the name of the website is? No, the name of the website is 500px.com. Right, right. I, I'm a member of 500px. Cool. But the meetup is where you can organize meetups, like for whatever purpose you want. So. Okay, so it's it's on 500px. Yeah, it's both. So for the for the meetup, it's meetup.com/500px, and it gives you ah, there we go. Okay. way to access, like to either create the Baltimore meetup or join Baltimore meetup if there's one. Yo, yo, hey yo. Thanks, guys. And to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check out This Week in Photo.com. And please remember to join our community over on Google+. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com or over at Mediabytes with a Y.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> Weekend Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. All right, I'm here with Mr. Jeff Otto. He's the guy that's behind a cool company. Now, haven't we haven't? I don't think we've ever had a pet photographer on this week in photo before so this is this is the first time so um, he runs a company called shaggy shutterbug pet photography the domain name for that is shaggy shaggy shutterbug.com shaggy shutterbug.com and uh he's agreed to come on and sort of give us uh you know sort of a one-on-one on photographing those furry critters so so jeff welcome to this week in photo all right, cool. Let's let's jump right into it. So, uh, you know, I've I've taken photos of my cat before, you know. So, <laughs> and I know even that can be challenging. So let's just start. Let's before we dive into the A's and B's or the A's to Z's of pet photography. Let's talk a little bit about you and how how you sort of wove into this niche. Are you just a natural animal lover that happened to have a camera, or how did it go? A little bit of that, you know. I've um, always had dogs all my life, and. Uh, always been around dogs and always loved animals. Um, but I guess, you know, started out in film school, just taking pictures of animals, wildlife, sometimes of dogs and things like that. I went to film school at Ithaca, New York a few years back. And, uh, yeah, um, actually at the time I, I, uh, was somewhat criticized by my photography teachers for too much wildlife photography and too much animal photography. And I guess, um, I had a very like avant-garde teacher who wanted us to do really experimental work and really um, kind of extreme. Uh, he wanted to see something very, very deep and meaningful and wanted us to really go out there with the work, which I tried, but 
it kind of came back to this a lot and uh that's interesting so they were they were you you were clearly demonstrating a love for a certain vertical or niche in photography and they're like no no go over here do this thing <laughs> i always remember i'll never forget i was in the critique and it was the one time i thought he was kind of like going with a critique uh or giving me positive feedback about a critique and then he said well the the biggest problem with your photographs is they look they really just look like something out of National Geographic, and you need to strive for something higher. Wait a minute. That was that was a criticism? <laughs> that, that was the criticism I got. I, I really went out of that out of that critique session with, you know, throwing my hands up in the air and going, huh. Yeah. Yeah, That that's called all credibility lost. That's kind of like, you know, I want to be a fashion photographer, and the teacher's like, you know, your stuff really looks too much like Vogue or something. You know, you need to dumb it down a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, he he was looking for a certain thing, and he was trying to get everyone to do that certain thing, and uh, I, I it kind of turned me off from photography for a while, honestly. So I really I didn't pursue it that heavily. I ended up uh, focusing in screenwriting, and ended up working as an entertainment journalist for years. That's actually mostly what I've been doing in LA for. I've been here ten years. That's what I did for the first eight, for the most part. Yeah. So how how did you jump into pet photography? So you're so in LA was it like you know what um, you know there's models and actresses and actors in abundance down there of course. So what what moved you over to pets? Is it was it more lucrative? It was just something that you loved the most, or yeah, it was something I loved. Um, I always had my camera with me, and I, honestly, I'd be taking um, shots for some of the sites I was writing for of actors and actresses and selling the pictures on the side. And or sometimes selling them as part of the articles I wrote. But then um, it's actually two two parts that got me into the pet photography. One was my dog. Um, I, you'll like this name, I guess. Uh, my red Doberman named Badonkadonk. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. He he was sort of my test subject as I got into the photography. As I got new equipment, and whatever. He was a good sport. He'd always come out with me on shoots and stuff. I go on hikes with him and take pictures of him and. Uh, you know, he, he kind of know whenever a new box came from B and H or Amazon that uh, that like Dad's gonna be happy today. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, it was it was him and just taking pictures of him and and just the reactions I was getting from people. And then um, I went back and took some classes at UCLA in their extension program mm-hmm. about three or four years ago, and uh, just started getting. It was a very different uh, response I got from the teachers there. Um, I, I wasn't doing only pet work, but the pet work I did, which was mostly of my dog at the time, um, was getting very positive response from. And at the same time, my fiance Melissa was starting a dog training business, um, which has since uh, launched and very successful now. And she's she's doing that all the time. So some of her clients uh, started noticing my pictures of Badonkadonk, and then I would take pictures of their dog, or I'd show up at the classes and take group shots and that kind of thing. And uh, little by little, people started asking me, you know, what I would charge to do a session with their dog, and I kind of went, uh, well, at, at the same time, one of my teachers was encouraging me to, to try to figure out something more to do with my photography or consider whether I'd want to do it professionally. He liked my work a lot, and, you know, I was showing him the pet photography stuff I'd done from the classes, and he was really encouraging. So it was a very different experience than I had years back in film school, right. and, uh, yeah, little by little, it just started growing into something, and I started scouring the web figuring out what domains were out there and what i could come up with with a with a name that would sound good and you know i wanted to to do kind of like a something fun a little fun spirited i wanted it to be a lot of the pet photography i saw out there was was studio work and 
some of it was very, very pretty and, and nice, but it was uh, very eloquent. I wanted sort of more of like a personality-driven More photojournalistic kind of raw, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted like – what I noticed about the shots is that when I did the studio st- uh, stuff here and there is that the dogs didn't look that comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you got kind of the same shot. You know, if you were shooting a wine runner, all the wine runners looked the same or all the Dobermans looked the same. But, uh, you know, if I did a park or a dog park or at the client's homes, I started getting something else. And so little by little, I stopped even offering the studio stuff, really, and never did that much of it. So, uh, yeah, I just... Uh, well, how do, so is it, is it, how do you get clients? Before we get into the mechanics of it, is it, sure. is it word of mouth, mouth mostly? Is it, you know, are you on Facebook advertising? How does that work? It's a few things. Um, it's word of mouth. Obviously, a lot of referrals through Melissa's business. Right. right. Um, and uh, Yelp has actually been really big for me. Okay. Yeah. Reviews on Yelp. Some of my clients started reviewing me early. And uh, so I've gotten a lot of contact through that. And as I was mentioning earlier, I'm slowly but surely checking off the list of Google Plus and all those things. I've got a Facebook page, but yep. I've yep. been a little, a little slack at uh, getting all that stuff going. But yeah, it's, it's primarily word of mouth and through we've, you know, I, I help my fiance out with her business too. So we we're very linked into the dog world at this point. So we have like a vet office we work through and, and they've um, referred for some pet photography and things like that. So through that whole little dog circle in, in Santa Monica, we're sort of the, the dog centric couple. Uh, she was actually named the official dog trainer of Santa Monica. Oh, a few that's years cool. Ago, so. That's so, cool. So she always, you know, I did all the photos for her cards and for her website. So sometimes people ask her where the photos are from. So I get a lot of work that way. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So then, so then pricing wise, so like for an average session, well, take me through the session. Like, you know, sure. so I'm a, I'm a dog owner and I, I call you up or I email you or, you know, I otherwise get in contact with you and I yeah. have a, let's say I don't have a dog right now, but let's say I have a, a German shepherd and I want to get photos of my German shepherd and I just call you up. What what are next steps? Uh, usually I get on the phone with you. I ask some questions about the dog, um, how comfortable they are with the camera. I mean, these days it's kind of good because everyone's shoving a cell phone in their dog's face and taking pictures at some point. So mm-hmm. it's not the first time a dog's seen a camera, but usually they haven't seen a camera as big as mine. Right, <laughs> right. And the big lens and everything. But um, so I, I find out a little bit about the dog, how comfortable they are with strangers. Um, you know, I when I go in for the actual session, I spend a little time getting to know them before I actually do the shoot too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I kind of go over what they're looking for, whether they want to be in the shots, whether they're looking for shots of just the dog, whether they're looking for action shots, whether they're looking for, you know, what sort of are their favorite parts of their dog's personality and what, what they want to see. Usually, you know, they want to see, they always tell me that there's like a certain look or certain thing their dog does, but they never can quite get that shot. Yeah. So I try to aim for that. That's cool. So you get in, get to that nugget of whatever the personality is and try to pull that out. Yeah. 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 Usually uh, by the end of the session, the dogs are usually exhausted. So we always get some cute shots of them napping or passing out. <laughs> so everyone likes that at the end. That's just like a normal the, model, right? <laughs> exactly. And then everyone, you know, always tells me that it's great because at the end of the shoot or at the end of the day, their dog's just relaxed and sleeping for the rest of the day. So especially the dogs, the uh, owners with young puppies and stuff are appreciative of uh, the post-shoot nap time. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the post-game show. So then then what happens after the shoot? So you go in, you're shooting. I'm presuming you say you're using a a longer lens. What What gear are you using? 
Yeah, um, my main gear is a, a D7000, Nikon D7000. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know you're a Nikon guy. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, uh, pretty much the 24 to 70, 28 never leaves my camera. Um, right. Once in a while, I actually I use the, the fisheye, the DX fisheye, the, the Nikon one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, I don't know if you've ever seen the, I think they call it the dog, is the company that has those um, sort of silly looking cards you see with the. Um, dogs with the giant heads uh no i don't think i've seen those yeah, yeah I, i'll send you a, a link to it You'll, yeah send me a link we'll put in the we'll put in the notes but with the fisheye you get that look you, you can't really use the fisheye with people but everyone likes the humorous look you get with dogs love it, so, love it. okay so, so, th- so then you're out there shooting um dogs tired you get back you have your 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 sd card full of images you load them in uh, um and then What's the and you post process them of course you know do your post processing now do you do you do the okay here's a gallery and then the clients can pick images or do have they already purchased a set package how does that go yeah they generally purchase a set package but they can upgrade to a different package or buy packages of prints um, like I guess a lot of you know I hear this on your show talked about a lot um, I struggle with the idea of whether people are even wanting prints or mm-hmm. whether uh, it should be digital so I've been more and more flexible on that and sort of learning as I go and figuring out how the best way to handle that is. Yeah. But uh, generally I give them a certain amount of prints. I give them what they call, uh, what I call a web Facebook disc, which is a disc of watermarked lower res images that they can share online, but they're not print quality. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, generally a, you know, a week or two turnaround, I say, polish them up in Lightroom. I do a small amount of black and white stuff. I do, um, I, I send the gallery through Smug Mug generally. So mm-hmm. I send them a Smug Mug gallery with, you know, depending on the package, anywhere from 25 to 100 images. Cool, cool. And then, and then, you know, of course it varies per package, but what are we looking at price-wise overall to get, you know, to get you to, to shoot my pet? Yeah, uh, the packages start at 225 Okay. So, and range up to about 500 I think, is my top package, which... I get here and there, but mostly most people are in the 225 to 300, which are the, the, I have, you know, sort of funny names for the packages, like the Simply Shag, the Simply Shaggy, I think is the uh, most basic <laughs> package that most people choose, Yeah, um, which just basically includes, I have to double check, but I think it's, you know, uh, a few 8x10s, uh, maybe six 4x7s, some wallets, um, some of that may be a little antiquated. I'm realizing yeah. no one really wants wallets anymore. So I always right. tell people that, uh, they can trade up what they want or I can trade them for some, some higher res digital. I just sort of learned early on that, uh, and I, and I know this is a struggle I've heard other photographers talk about on your show is how to sort of find that balance and something I'm still yeah. working on where if you give someone a disc at the beginning, I was giving a disc, a high res images. And then I went to some clients' houses and saw just terrible, terrible printouts mm-hmm. of yeah. So yeah. your calling card printed by Walmart, right? <laughs> exactly. So I tried to keep my print prices really low, tried to work with people, tried to explain to them that when they do order prints from me, it's not a matter of me just printing it, that I'm spending some time, that you know I'm using color calibrated monitors and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I am taking some into account how they're going to frame it, what color frame it's going to be. And I try to you know, make some adjustments according to that. And most people seem to understand once I explain it to them. Yeah. You know, I just, uh, but I, I, I've been more and more flexible. That's what I've learned in the few years I've been doing this as a business that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a changing market constantly. And, uh, 
prints are less and less popular. Uh, oh, yeah. Canvases, yeah. canvases have become really popular, so I've been really uh, selling a lot of canvases lately. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it. Uh, I was thinking as you were saying that the your if you come up with an entry level package, I think you should call it the Scooby Snack. You know, Scooby Snack. I like that. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's little, you know, you can't get enough of them. It's this new Scooby snack. And yeah. my, my Doberman Badonkadonk, sometimes people thought he looked like Scooby-Doo. He had big oh. floppies. He's a Doberman, but he was red. So he had, uh, he oh, was about cool. 100 pounds. So people sometimes, and he loved food, loved snacks. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what's, what's next for the, the Shaggy Shutterbug? What's the, what's, what, are you, are you going to expand into different towns or, you know, you're going to maybe add people to your repertoire? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't just do pets. You know, yeah. I, I do some tied into the entertainment work I used to do. I sometimes do some live events, a um, little bit of music work uh, here and there when it pops up. Yeah, I've done a little bit of like headshot kind of stuff and uh, family portraits, a lot of that. Yeah. So um, a lot of times, a client it's happened quite a few times now where a client hires me for their pets and then ends up hiring me for like a family Christmas card or yeah. for. I did a 70th birthday party for a musician cool. and uh, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, the idea right now is, you know, I've got a few friends and some other photographers that have helped me out. You know, maybe down the line I see it as having some other photographers who do the shoots as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but haven't really gotten there yet. I'm just kind of working on continuing to get out there myself and got to stop putting off some of the social networking aspects of the business that yeah. I yeah. Need to sit, I need to spend more time in front of the computer and keep uh, growing the business. But right now the goal is just get out there and keep shooting and, yes. you know, get lots of, uh, you know, I, I go out to some of the dog events and things like that. I go to some dog shows. I've been to, a, LA has a ton of dog-centric events and dog festivals and dog parades. And so I, wow. I go to a lot of that stuff. Wow. I've actually shot, I think, five dog birthday parties huh. over yeah, <laughs> a dog birthday party, really? <laughs> yeah, very sometimes very elaborate. Like they've been everything from like a backyard party to a full-on rented-out location with labeled um, beer bottles and water bottles with the dogs' custom pictures on them. Yeah, well, the most recent one they actually had my photography all over it, which is cool because I'd done some shoots with them in the past. So I my photos were on water bottles and on the cake and yeah. on uh, banners for the party. So yeah. All right, just- I, I have one. I have one final question for you. This may be a little sensitive. Yeah. Um, what do you have against cats? <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing against cats. So that was actually uh, something I've been asked here and there, but you, you don't get that many people asking about their cats. Really? I, I've I've shot a few cats with owners that had dogs. Okay. So they're like, oh yeah, here's Fluffy. Come on in here, Fluffy. <laughs> it always seems to be like a. a a second and afterthought so far with clients. I'm always Poor open. Cats, man. <laughs> I actually have a I have a uh, a baby. I guess you call it a cub, a bobcat that I shot at a nature preserve, and uh, I use that on my business cards as like my one non-dog photo. <laughs> yeah. say, I, I don't think people even realize it's a bobcat, but it looks like just a house cat. But I, <laughs> yeah, so I'm open to cats. I'm open to ferrets and. Fish. <laughs> And any other kind of pets that are out there. But what's the weirdest? What's the weirdest pet that you photographed so far? Uh, I don't know if there's been anything that weird. There's, I mean, there's got to be some weird pets in L.A., like somebody with alligators in their house or something. Yeah, it's it's all been dogs. It's mostly sometimes it's weird dogs that are uh, you know dogs that have a, a strange 
phobia or uh, I had one dog that just growled at me constantly and bit me every time I came close. So I, really? Yeah, I actually ended up getting a few good shots. Of but the teeth that, coming out like towards the camera lens. Time I, you know, you're you got your your face on the camera, so you're not really seeing the periphery. And the dog went around the side, and I just felt a snap on the hand. Wow! Pulled away. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've uh, you always come armed with treats and, and things, squeaky toys and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I always, uh, yeah, I've only had I think that one dog that was actually sort of violent about it, but right, right. Yeah. But yeah, I can. I, I wish I could give you a better weird animal story. You got it. Well, I'm sure they'll come. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> there's definitely uh, some odd phone calls that don't pan out. You know, people that have seven dogs or something like that. But uh, oh, wow. usually, usually they just call and don't. It doesn't really go any further than that. Yeah. You have to get a call from somebody with a exotic animal. There's got to be, you know, I don't know, chimpanzees or lions in some houses out here. I'm sure. I'm sure there's all kinds of weird stuff out there. It's cool. Yeah. Well, cool. So you're at uh, ShaggyShutterbug.com. That's the domain. And you're working on social. So you'll have that up soon and we'll be able to yeah. share that. Facebook page, Yelp page right now. Um, it was just you reminded me this morning asking about Google Plus. So I just started working on that a little bit. There cool. is a Google Plus page, but it's not very fleshed out yet. Yep. But, cool. uh, yeah, coming along. Coming well, cool, along. man. Well, congratulations on on uh, getting this business going. I always love to hear you know photographers that are doing working photographers making money doing the stuff that they love, and and yeah. you're in a really vertical niche there. So that's it's well, it sounds vertical, but it could be broad, right? Because mostly yeah. everybody has a pet these days. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and everybody has a pet. And you know, the biggest struggle I think was just differentiating myself from everybody's got like a million pics of their dog on their iPhone or whatever. So right. you know, I get that all the time where people find out I'm a pet photographer and they want to show me their pictures. And I just try to let my work speak for itself and I'll show them my pictures. And sometimes they're convinced and sometimes, you know, they just admire it and that's that. But yeah. you know, hopefully I try to do what I can to distinguish my work and show them what I can do for them versus, you know, we're all taking pictures all the time. So you got to set yourself apart, I guess. Yeah. When, one last question. Um, sure. As you evolve your business and start, you know, adding diversified product lines, have you considered adding video or multimedia or anything into your mix? Yeah, I have. And I have done it a little bit. Um, actually, for one of the dog birthday parties, um, they asked us about video. And I had a friend who had a lot. I have some video experience, but he had more than, than I do. So he came along and we did deliver a video. We did like a music video kind of thing for the party, <laughs> which awesome. uh, was a pretty big hit. Yeah, we had uh, we had it all timed out and we spent some time on it. It ended up being pretty cool. I can send it to you. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah video is uh, something. I mean, it. funny thing is I went to film school learning video and film, and that's what I mostly did in film school. But photography was what I ended up liking more. Yeah. So, but yeah, now like, I get that I, I get asked that more and more. So right now I've done some sort of sort of little snippet, little brief videos of the dogs running around on the shoot. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. But I haven't done anything too serious with it. I, you know, get the request here and there though. Well, come and that D seven thousand will handle it, so you'll be good to go. <laughs> D7000, and I'm also using the NEX7, which oh, I've been cool. playing a lot. So. Nice, yeah. I just did an interview with Trey about his Sony yeah. NEX7. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's, it's I love cool. that. I struggle with the same thing you guys have talked about. You know, I, I've used it on some of my shoots, but I get looks because it's so small. But mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't look professional enough, so I go back to the big D7000 with the battery grip and the 
24 to 70 lens. I call it the uh, photography as performance art, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to show up looking like a stereotypical photographer in order to yeah. inspire confidence in the clients, right? Yeah, yeah. The D7000 gets used here and there on my own, but mostly it's the NEX7 when I'm doing my own stuff and the D7000 on the pro shoots. That's crazy. The D7000 for, uh, for the appearances and all the cool <laughs> stuff is done with the small camera. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I can, you know, the Indiac Seven puts out stuff that uh, matches up to it. Pretty. I, I sometimes have to look at which camera I was shooting with to figure it out. Isn't that crazy? That's yeah. crazy. Pretty impressive. Cool, Jeff. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time today to to chat with me about this. It's is awesome. Once again, you are Shaggy Shutterbug. I wrote it down on my little sticky right here. ShaggyShutterbug.com, right? Yeah, ShaggyShutterbug.com. Uh, you can find me on Yelp, read my reviews, and. Uh, more social media coming soon. You can like our Facebook page. Cool. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I, as I said, I'm a fan of the show. I enjoy listening every week. No, no, thank you. Thank you for coming on, and thanks for listening. Thank you. Okay. Take care, Jeff. Thanks, Frederick. <laughs>